Yeah. Uh, camp was a big deal to me as a, as a student growing up. That's where I came face to face with Jesus at Alto Frio, Texas, where a guy was talking about uh, Christ and what he had done. And I went to a dorm room that night and cried out and said, man, I, I need to follow you. I love you. Thank you for your sacrifice. And my life was changed. And uh, I was outside a youth camp. I was a senior in high school and I watched a guy named Louis Giglio stand on a stage and preach. And I, I was like, I want to do that one day. God, I think that might be what you're asking me to do. So for me, really impactful in my life. So students, I hope, uh, hope camp is something you'll, you'll make a priority this summer. Um, my dad, my dad turned 80 in December. My dad turned 80 in December. And um, so I was going to give him a, a, a gift. Happy birthday. You know, say, dad, I love you. I don't know really what you get an 80 year old. Um, <laughs> I didn't want to get him a walker or anything like that, so I was like, <laughs> I thought, uh, why don't I, uh, I want to just write him a note. And so I decided, uh, no, no, no gifts, I'm not going to go spend any money, I'm just going to write my dad a letter. And I spent several days just kind of working through that letter, and you can imagine most of it was just a thank you. I just spending a lot of time saying, Dad, thanks for a lot of stuff. And in the moment, it was funny, as I was writing those thank yous, there's Obviously, the things that you would say thank you for, like thanks for making sure I had everything I needed, you know, thanks for uh, always, you know, making sure I was provided for and I had all of the stuff. And then there were some things I found myself thanking my dad for that years earlier I would have never imagined thanking my dad for. Um, those things that uh, in the moment you thought, this is miserable and I can't believe my dad is creating this boundary or making me do this. And now I look back and think, man, dad was pretty sharp, um, really helpful. I found myself saying, thanks for making me mow the yard, right? Um, you're going to thank me for this one day, Caleb, I promise. Um, I mean, just thanks, thanks for... Thanks for when you were going to go out and work on the car that you made me go out there too and hold the flashlight. Um, Thanks for, just thanks for that kind of stuff, right? And it was, it was silly to, to write it, but also incredibly meaningful because I just was in the moment as a 16-year-old or as a 12-year-old or whatever it is, I would, I would never like in that moment say, oh, wow, thanks, dad, for this. But I can imagine my dad looking at me and saying when I was 12 or 16 and saying, you're going to thank me for this one day. Parents, you ever had one of those moments? You're going to thank me for this. I promise it doesn't make sense now. I know these boundaries don't make sense. I know this wisdom doesn't seem real wise to you in the moment. I know what I'm asking you to do may feel like the end of your life, but I promise you, you're going to thank me for this. Um, what would it be like if in those moments you could recognize a future blessing and give thanks for a future blessing? And not just give thanks for all the stuff that's already happened, even though that's incredibly important, right? Today we're going to talk about Thanksgiving and specifically how to pray um, in a thankful way, in a, in a way of gratitude. But I want to broaden our definition just a tad. As we think about praying Thanksgiving type prayers, most of the time we think it's just this long checklist of blessings that have been received in the past. And today I want us to think, how can we give thanks for not just blessings in the past, but blessings that are 
to be received in the future. Um, and so maybe just broaden our idea of this. We, we've been talking about prayer for the last several weeks now. We've been going through the model prayer in Matthew chapter 6. Um, we've tried to give you some handles. So we, we know prayer doesn't come natural for everybody. And, and for some people, uh, certain elements of prayer are easy. If you come to my house, Thanksgiving prayer is the number one thing we do. Like, thanks for the day. Thanks for the food. Thanks for this weekend. Thanks that we have a game. Thanks that, you know, whatever. Uh, but there are other types of prayer. Um, you, you'll notice that we've done adoration. We said there's this part where we, we tell the truth about God and we adore him. And we use that phrase, your name is holy in the Lord's prayer to adore him and to attribute to him uh, just his character. He's, he's gracious, he's kind, he's merciful, all those things. We also said confession is a part of our prayer life. And confession is just praying the truth about yourself. I, I'm angry right now. I'm frustrated. I, 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 I lusted, whatever it is, we just confess that and we try to be honest before God because he knows who we are anyway. It's, it's for us to, to be honest before him. We talked about supplication a few weeks ago where we are asking God for something. And when we ask God for something, we're surrendering and we're submitting to him and we're recognized that I'm not in control, but that God is. And today we want to talk about Thanksgiving, this the idea that we would be thankful to God and, and the things that he's done in the past, um, but also the things he, he's going to do in the future. Uh, let me read the model prayer to you. Matthew chapter 6, it'll be on the screen. It says this, starting in verse 9. Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Several of these are really easy to see. Um, adoration, you know, this, this uh, your name is honored as holy. We see confession as forgive us our debts. We see supplication, which is give us today our daily bread. And today I want to show you Thanksgiving, even though it doesn't come across just real overtly in the passage, but I think it's there in the opening three petitions. Let me read it to you, starting in verse 9 and 10 again. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Most of the time when we think about uh, the model prayer, the Lord's Prayer, we end up taking all these phrases and we separate them out. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's a lot to learn from each individual phrase in and of itself. They, they, they teach us all kinds of great truth. But there's also a literary structure to the prayer. And that literary structure would take those first three petitions and put them together. And then it's going to put a tagline at the end, which is, on earth as it is in heaven. And so the three petitions that are overlapping, they're not just individual, but they're actually overlapping petitions has to do with God's name, it has to do with God's kingdom, and it has to do with God's will. Now, if you will, just for a moment, right, I, it's going to take me a second to, to get to the Thanksgiving part. So if you would just indulge me for a few moments as I talk about the structure of this 
and what these phrases mean, and then I promise I'm going to get to Thanksgiving here in a moment. So if you'll trust me just for a second. Let, let's break it down, and, and let's look at the first phrase and how these are, are overlapping. The first one says, honored be your name or hallowed be your name. Um, the idea that your name would be holy. We want to honor your name as holy. Several weeks ago, John preached on this and he talked about it as adoration, that we use this as a, a model to declare God's characteristics back to him. That is absolutely true. I do think there's another nuance to this idea of name. Most of the time when we think of this um, hallowed be your name or honored be your name or keep your name holy, we immediately go to the Ten Commandments and we think of don't take God's name in vain. And the way that I honor God's name is that I only use it in a holy and reverent and worshipful type way. I would never want to use God's name in a way that shows my frustration or that is vanity or just to, to call on him when I don't really mean it. And so most of the time, that's how we, we talk about name, because when we think of name, we think of like your name. You know, the first name, last name, fill it in, middle initial, but, but name actually is, is a little bit broader than that, especially in the ancient Near East. And in the Ten Commandments, when we're talking about, when we're talking about honored be the name, it's not just what you say or read. It would actually represent more than that. Let me, let me show you a few places here. Um, the, the first one would be in Deuteronomy. I'm going to give you a, several of these in the Old Testament to, to show us what name might represent outside of just like calling God's name, Yahweh or Jehovah. In verses uh, 3 through 5 of Deuteronomy 12, it'll be on the screen, it says this. He, he's given a command, tear down their altars, smash their sacred pillars, burn up their Asherah poles, cut down the carved images of their God, and wipe out their names from every place. Now, he's talking about false worship, and he's then going to give the command on how to worship the one true God correctly. Verse 4, don't worship the Lord your God this way, the way they do. Instead, you must turn to the place Yahweh has chosen from all your tribes to put his name for his dwelling and go there. To put his name for his dwelling. This is the idea that God is not asking you to find some cave and inscribe some initials on the wall and say, that's where I'm going to put his name. He's actually saying, this is where his presence is going to be. His presence is going to be there. I need you to find a spot, mark it out. And this isn't a, a, obviously talking about the temple. And his presence is going to be there. So name resembles and symbolizes presence. Let me show it to you in, in, a, in a few others. He says this in uh, Psalm 20, verse 1. He says, may Yahweh answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of Jacob's God protect you. I mean, obviously that doesn't mean these little letters are going to jump off the page and grab a sword, right? This is symbolic for presence. May his presence protect you. He also says in the same Psalm, verse 7, it's not on the screen, but you know, you've probably heard this. Some take pride in chariots, others in horses, but we take pride in the name of Yahweh. 
his presence. That's what we take pride in. It says this in Isaiah 30. I'm just going to read a few of them. I, I just want you to get the feel of presence here. It says in verse 27, look, Yahweh comes from far away, his anger burning heavy with a smoke, his lips full of fury, and his tongue is like consuming fire. That word Yahweh there is his name comes from far away. That's what that word is, name. It, it means that his presence is coming. Last but not least, my, my favorite is in Exodus 23. This is as the people have, have left Egypt. It says this. He says, I'm going to send an angel before you to protect you on the way and bring you to the place I prepared. I'm going to lead you to the promised land with this angel. Be attentive to him and listen to his voice. Do not defy him because he will not forgive your acts of rebellion for my name is in him. My presence is in him. But if you will carefully obey him and do everything I say, then I, um, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and a foe to your foes. Man, this is just for free. But if you've got an angel that's got the presence of God in it, <laughs> what kind of angel is that, right? Um, presence. Presence. It's, it's, it's more than just a name. So when we go back over here and, and we look at the Lord's Prayer and it says, your name be honored as holy. My question is, is your presence be honored as holy? And remember what the tagline is to these three overlapping petitions? On earth as it is in heaven. Your presence be honored. Your presence the second petition is, your kingdom come. Um, kingdom is, is all throughout Matthew. Matter of fact, it is used some 30 some odd times in the, in the gospel. And here we have it here, a bunch in the Sermon on the Mount. And when we get to the word kingdom, just real simply, we mean rule and reign. That God's rule and reign would come. That God would, would be able to rule and reign perfectly the way that he wants to, the way he desires to, the way that he absolutely planned to. And so they're asking, the petition is, is that your, your kingdom, your authority, your rule and reign, and more importantly, our submission to that rule and reign would come. And then what's the tagline? On earth as it is in heaven. Could we all agree just for a moment that God's presence and his rule and reign are not fully functioning on earth as they are in heaven in this current moment, right? And so that's the, the, the prayer is, is for that. The third one is your will be done. Um, your will be done. This is God's perfect plan. Right? Um, it's his perfect plan, exactly the way he wanted it to be laid out. Um, again, I think we could all agree here that um, his presence, his rule and reign, and his perfect plan are not happening on earth the way that they are in heaven at this very moment. There is one place that uh, when I look at scripture and I could see his presence, his rule and reign, and his his absolute perfect plan was 
was in full function in heaven and on earth at the same time. And that would be Genesis 1 and 2. That would be Genesis 1 and 2. We see where God is fully present with mankind. We see he is ruling and reigning. They're submitting to him. And we see this perfect plan of creating order in this midst of chaos and giving responsibility to mankind and and continuing to bring order and giving them these roles and responsibility. And then what entered the world? And when sin entered the world, this is what mankind decided. We don't want your rule and reign. We want our rule and reign. And we don't really want your plan. We would like our plan. And your presence was great and all, but even if that means we get kicked out of your presence, we would like to be like God. And just a few chapters later, they're going to build this big, massive tower so that they could traverse the heavens to be like, be like God. We don't need your presence. We have our, we have our own presence. And ever since then, thousands of years have been nothing more than us living under our own rule and reign, trying to come up with our own plan and living in our own presence. But we're all in desperate need of what's happening currently in heaven, which is God's perfect presence, his perfect rule and reign, and his perfect plan. And so these these petitions are here. Let, let, me, let me try to draw them for you so that um, you can have a visual, right? I only get to preach here a couple more times, so I'm going to use my drawing as much as I can here. Um, when, I, when I draw this up, I, I want you to see these three overlapping petitions uh, clearly. So th- this first one here, as, as we look at it, is what we said, right? It's the idea of name, This is God's name. And then we have a a second overlap, which is your kingdom. And then finally, the third overlap is will. So we have name, kingdom, and will. And I want you to see that middle spot there. That's where we're going to hone in on just a second. But just to make sure we're all on the same page, we said name means presence. We said kingdom means rule and reign. And we said will means perfect plan. Now, in the middle there, remember the tagline, on earth as it is in heaven. So right now we know that these things are happening perfectly in heaven. We also know that at one point in our past, they were happening on the earth. If you know your Bible, if you know your Bible, you know that his presence, his rule and reign, and his plan will all come to fruition again in the future right like it's all going to come again together in the future like this is heaven and earth are going to have God's perfect presence his perfect rule and reign and his perfect plan all being executed without 
the issue of sin, without the issue of us wanting to take control, without all of that, right? Now, let me be clear, because some of you are like, okay, Russell, I get it, but you haven't explained to us how this affects prayer. Now, there are a lot of things I can pray for, and I don't understand what the outcome is going to be. I told you a week or so ago, I'm praying for a roommate for my son when he goes to Alabama. I'm going to have to be okay with who that roommate is, right? I'm not in control of that. Um, I go to the doctor and I get a diagnosis I don't like. I can pray for healing. I can pray for all kinds of stuff, but I'm not real sure what the answer is going to be. Are you? Let me ask you this. If you pray for your presence, your kingdom, and your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. What's the answer to that? Yes. Yes. And if the answer is yes, what's your response to yes? Thank you. Thanks. It's clear. It's clear. I guess the deal for us is we spend all of our time praying and dwelling on the things that, that we know we won't, we, we don't know what the answer is going to be, and we should. Listen, we should. But there are also some times we should be praying some things that we know are true. Why? Because they make us say, thank you. Thank you. I, I know it's real easy. And, it, and it's so appropriate. I, I don't want to downplay a long list of things that have happened in our past that we should say thank you for. We should. In the same way when I wrote that letter to my dad and I just said, thank you, thank you, thank you. It is so appropriate, right? But how cool would it be is at the end of that letter I could say with confidence, thank you for the things that are going to happen in the future. I can't do that with my earthly dad but I can do that with my Heavenly Father. I can do it with my Heavenly Father. Now, some of you think right now, this is the craziest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> Just can we have the third week of November, cut up a turkey, say thank you for all the stuff in the past, right? But here you are wanting to talk about stuff in the future. Now, listen, this isn't just Russell's crazy idea. Can I show it to you in the Old Testament? Like, can I just show it to you a few places? Like, this isn't just me being weird here, right? L let me show it to you. Um, let's, let's go back to Exodus. Let's go back to Exodus. Exodus chapter 15. Um, Exodus chapter 15, the nation of Israel has just crossed the Red Sea. They have seen plague after plague. They saw the, the water split. They saw people walk through. They walked through on dry ground. And then when Pharaoh and all of his chariots started running after him, the waters crashed down. And Exodus 15 is Moses and the people singing a song of thanks, saying, thank you for what you've done. Now watch this, verses 1 through 10. I, I don't, I mean, I'm, I'm just going to speed through it, but you get it, right? I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. He has thrown the horse and its rider into the sea. That's what he just did. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He just saved me. This is my God, and I will praise him. I will sing thanks to him, my father's God, and I will exalt him. 
says, the Lord is a warrior. Yahweh is his name. He threw Pharaoh's chariots and his army into the sea. The elite of his officers were drowned in the Red Sea. He did that. He just did it. We just saw it. The floods covered them. They sank to the depths like a stone. Lord, your right hand is glorious in power. Lord, your right hand shattered the enemy. I just saw what you did. Verse eight, the waters heaped up at the blast of your nostrils. The current stood firm like a dam. The watery depths congealed in the heart of the sea. Like you can just see they're grasping at what they just saw, right? We can't even give real verbs and adjectives and descriptors to this. It's just so crazy what happened, right? But you did it. Thank you. The enemy said, verse nine, I will pursue and overtake. I will divide the spoil. My desire will be gratified at Israel, their expense. I will draw my sword. My hand will destroy them, but you blew your breath and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Lord, who is like you among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, revered with praises, performing wonders? You stretched out your right hand and the earth swallowed them. You will lead the people. Uh-oh. You will lead the people, right? He just said something's going to happen in the future. He said, you will lead the people. You have redeemed with your faithful love. You will guide them to your holy dwelling. You will do this. Based on what you've done in the past, we know what you're going to do in the future. You know why? Because God made a promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and said, I'm going to send you to a land and I'm good on my word. So we can say thank you in advance for what God's going to do. Skip down there to verse 17. You will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your possession. The Lord, you, Lord, you have prepared the place for your dwelling. Your hands have established the sanctuary. Verse 18, the Lord will reign forever and ever. It's not just what you've done in the past. It's what he's going to do in the future. You say, okay, that's just an isolated event. Okay, that's great. Let me give you another one. Um, 1 Samuel chapter 2. 1 Samuel chapter 2. This is Hannah. Hannah has not been able to have a child. She's been praying and praying and praying and saying, Lord, will you bless us with a child? Will you please? And God blesses. And a child is granted. And then chapter 2 is just a psalm. Just like this. A psalm of thanksgiving for what God has done. Verse 1. My heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is lifted up by the Lord. My mouth boasts over my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. My boast over my enemies. All those people are saying, you were barren. Something must be wrong. What's wrong with you, Hannah? Said, no, 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 no. The Lord has lifted me up. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one beside you. And there is no rock like our God. Do not boast so proudly or let arrogant words come out of your mouth or the for the Lord is the God of knowledge and actions are weighed by him. The bows of the warriors are broken, but the feeble are clothed with strength. She said, that's me. Those who are full hire themselves out for, full, for food, but those who are starving hunger no more. The woman who is childless gives birth to seven. 
But the woman with many sons pines away. The Lord brings death and gives life. He sends some to Sheol and he raises others up. The Lord brings poverty and gives wealth. He humbles and exalts. You exalted me. He raised the poor from the dust and lift the needy from the garbage pile. And then go all the way over there to verse 10. Those who oppose the Lord will be shattered. He will thunder in the heavens against them. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give power to his king. He will be lifted up. Or he will lift up the horn of his anointed. He will do it. It's already been promised. So now we look at it and say, this is what you're going to do. And because of what you're going to do, I can say thank you. When's the last time you said thanks in advance for what God's going to do? And I know some of y'all are looking at this and you're saying, Russell, that's Old Testament mumbo jumbo. Give me something in the New Testament. Fine. Romans 8. Romans 8. Probably one of the most beloved chapters in all of Scripture. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you want to know how to pray in advance, here it is. You ready? What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He did not even spare his own son, but offered him up for all of us. How will we not also with him grant how will he not also with him grant us everything? Who can bring accusation against the elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one that condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He is also at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. We remember backwards. Thank God every day, every Sunday when we come in and get the bread and juice, we are saying thankful for what Jesus Christ did. Verse 35, who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or anguish or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, because of you, we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. It feels terrible here, Lord. Verse 37, no, in all these things we are more than victorious through him who loved us. Now listen for the future part, you ready? For I am persuaded that not even death or life, angels or rulers, things present or things to come, hostile powers, height or depth or anything created will have the power to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Will have the power. Will. Man, we just prayed for seniors a minute ago. I got a chance to go to Cleet's house one Sunday night and just talk with them. Um, I was supposed to talk on world religions and denominations, and we did that, but uh, more than that, I, I just wanted to make sure they knew something. I wanted them to make sure they knew something that was absolutely true. Absolutely true. And that absolute truth is if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Amen. Not even yourself. And I just want them to know that. I want them to know that when they, when they step onto that campus or the military or whatever their next step is, I just want them to know, man, you can say thanks for that right now. Because it's true. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing. When's the last time you said thanks for that? It's so true. Last but not least, um, 
probably should have just started here, and it would have been a five-minute sermon, but John would have been mad, so um, last passage right here it is. Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Now, remember our catchphrase? On earth as it is in. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea no longer existed. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Um, if you know Jerusalem in, in terms of uh, what it meant to the nation of Israel, it was the epicenter of worship. It was where God's presence was. It says, Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, Look, God is dwelling, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. Presence. Presence is going to be there in the future. Not only that, they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. That's rule and reign. He's going to be, he's going to be our God. He's going to be in control. We're not voting on this. There's no who stole the election, right? It, it, it's just going to be God. And we're going to be his. Um, and here's his plan. It's a, pretty, it's a pretty good plan. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will no longer exist. Grief, crying, and pain will exist no longer because the previous things have passed away. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, that's true. And we have lots to be thankful for. So long list of things in the past, and we should say thanks for those regularly. But as you say thanks, maybe say thanks for the things that are going to be true in the future. Say some thanks for what's going to be true. Here's reality. Um, we live in a world full of sin and the consequences of it and the chaos that come with it. And the enemy would love for you to forget that one day there'll be no more pain. He would love for you to forget there'll be no more suffering and loss. He would love for you to forget that it's no more heartache. He would love for you to just put blinders on and only see right now and be overwhelmed in it. But we have a great hope through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And because of that, we have a lot to say thank you for. So as we wrap this up, um, you're looking for some handles. Driving to work, maybe you get up early or before you go to bed at night. Adoration, tell the truth about God. Confession, tell the truth about yourself. Thanksgiving, thank God for what he's done. Thank God for what he's going to do. Supplication, praying for others and praying for yourself. Let me pray for us.